If you guys have been listening to Ask Women for a while, you probably know my voice associated with some cynicism, maybe some jokes you're not a fan of, or maybe you are a fan of because you've got great taste. Well, either way, I've come a long way from that cynical gal, and I'm doing amazing things helping guys get their banter and conversation skills on track, as well as making those dating profiles look not so terrible. Or dare I say good? No, dare I say great. I get them looking great. And I've been doing it long enough now that I'm seeing actual results coming in from guys that I've worked with. Like, you know, for example, engagements, things like that. I have to say, I feel pretty good about my skills and those dudes do too. So if you want to be smooth and witty in conversation or smooth and witty in your profile, you know who to come and see. And that's me, Kristen. And I'm at kristenandchill.com. All of my stuff is up there if you guys want to hit me up and uh, get my help. So again, kristenandchill.com. Charm more than just her socks off. Want to know the hidden meaning behind what women say and do? Then check out the Chictionary. It's the Wing Girl Methods manual that gives you a full rundown of all the things women say that confuse men written in dictionary format. Go get a copy of the Chictionary by going to winggirlmethod.com slash chick. That's winggirlmethod.com slash chick. Coming up on this week's episode of the Ask Women podcast, we have Dr. Lisa Marie Bobby on to tell me and myself and I, because Marnie's not here, all about how to be your authentic self in dating. We also talk about attachment styles and who you should be dating based on yours. All that and more coming up on this week's episode. So keep listening. Welcome to the Ask Women podcast. We are so glad you're here because this is 2020. So that means you're doing something right that you've made it this far in 2020. I'm your host, Kristen Carney. Marnie is not here because her internet is out. So if you guys could call her provider, AT&T, and shame them, I would be very grateful because now I'm stuck in the position of having all the pressure of asking all the right questions, which I usually put on Marnie. But it won't be hard today because we have such an awesome guest. We have Dr. Lisa Marie Bobby, who is a life coach, so many good things that I'm going to let her take over because it's a mouthful that I can't handle. So, hey, thank you for riding the ups and downs to even getting this podcast taped. So, hey, how's it going? I'm good, Kristen. And it's a pleasure to meet with you today. Yes, I'm a psychologist. I'm a marriage and family therapist. And I'm using all of my therapy skills on myself right now because I think you just told your audience that you were like, I have to meet with her alone today. So I'm going to work through that. Yes. I'm oh my ha- God. I'm happy to be here. <laughs> well, my therapist canceled last week. Or no, I actually canceled, but it wasn't, it wasn't by choice. But I am due for a session for sure. But today we won't talk about me because on this podcast, sometimes we end up doing that too much, which is uh, not a bother to me at all, of course. But for our listeners, it might be. Yeah. So today I want to talk to you all about how to be a man in 2020 and how to step up the man game when everything being thrown at men is telling them maybe not to be the man that they might feel inside. So I want to chat with you about that and all sorts of other things, but I guess we can start there. That's a fantastic question, Kristen. And I think it's so important because what I have discovered over the years... So I do therapy, but also coaching and a lot of dating coaching. And many times I work with women who will flop down on my in-person or virtual couch and be like, I really just want to be in a great relationship with a good guy. 
and they'll start listing out all of these qualities that they imagine their ideal partner to have. So he'll be nice and he'll be trustworthy and he'll be fun and he'll be reliable and stable and like all of these virtuous qualities. And then they will come back and you had a date last week. How did it go? And they're like, yeah, he was nice and stable and (laughs) trustworthy, but I just didn't feel the chemistry. And where the chemistry feeling comes from, which is I think a lot of times what women are really looking for, is when men are being their authentic selves. And maybe not trying quite as hard to be the nice guy or who they think women want them to be. Yeah. Because that's not actually true. It's kind of a mind game. It's sort of weird. Yeah. And it's also not really possible because no one is a cardboard cutout of themselves, which is just nice and polite and Mm -hmm. simple. And eh. the authenticity, if it gets lost, if that's what you're trying to be. And I, Mm -hmm. I think a lot of guys who play up the nice guy role, we'll find they have sexual chemistry with someone maybe one time out of a thousand. Yeah. But it's hard because then guys always default back to, well, then they want the bad boy. But it's not that they want the Mm. bad boy by any means. It's that the bad boy, quote unquote, does things like says he has to go. He doesn't sit on the phone for as long as maybe she wants to every single time. Things like that make it look more bad boy-esque. And I think, Mm -hmm. is that accurate in terms of psychology, would you say? Oh, absolutely. I mean, for a long time, I have been studying this. So a lot of what we do at my practice growing self is around relationship counseling. And sometimes it is, you know, established long-term couples, but oftentimes it's people who are trying to figure out how to create not just dating kinds of relationships, but really healthy, high-quality, long-term relationships. And the importance of that chemistry feeling cannot be minimized because that's really what attracts people in the beginning. And I think you put your finger right on it, Kristen. That experience is largely due to anxiety, which we're talking about the dark arts of relationships here right now. But like raising people's anxiety just a little bit when you're first getting to know them will work in your favor. Yes. Yeah. It's always Mm -hmm. a bad sign when you don't have anxiety. Mm -hmm. If you're not feeling nervous, you're doing something wrong in a sense. I always heard that in terms of doing stand-up comedy or performing. If you're feeling absolutely 100% whatever and assured, there's no zhuzh on stage. Like they say about yoga, if it's not uncomfortable, you're doing it wrong, right? (laughs) Yeah. And so that's exactly it. It's that that zing, that sparkle, that that's what people are really looking for in the beginning. And so once you have that interest there, then longer term, you can demonstrate that you are the wonderful, mature, responsible, reliable, trustworthy guy that they're really looking for in a long-term partner. But without that, the zing, you won't get that far. Yeah. So yeah. to bring out your authentic self, how mm-hmm. do you do that? Because of all the outside factors that are going on right now, which is chaos. And a lot of people are being told either they're wrong in their thinking or they have the wrong opinion on something. And I think right now, a lot of people are oppressing their authentic selves. How do you Mm -hmm. bring it out? And how do you bring it out in a way that is positive? Because for me, I sometimes play up the side of my authentic self is lazy. And that's negative. And I'm not really that lazy. I more use it because I find it funny. But if your authentic self 
in your own perception is negative, how do you bring out a positive, authentic self? So it's not disingenuous, but it's also not negative. Does that make sense? Yes, I understand you. And I, for one, am a big fan of self-deprecating humor. I love it. And so you can always go in that direction. So I think there's how do you sort of like brand yourself in a way that is authentic with you and also interesting, but not sort of emphasizing potentially negative qualities. But I think I also heard in there you talking about maybe feeling a little bit constrained to say what you're thinking because of like this cancel culture thing. Am I going to say the wrong thing and somebody's going to think I am the devil or say a bigot or or at least not woke. That's like the worst thing you can call somebody right now. So yeah, is that kind of it? Yeah, Yeah. essentially. Like how do you be authentic without being terrible? Because if maybe you're naturally terrible, Yeah. Most people aren't, but... (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, step one is to actually like, I would imagine doing like work on yourself to not legitimately be terrible. So then you can have like confidence. (laughs) And there are lots of resources to do that right now. I mean, I think this is a great time, particularly as we have so much solitude. Like for, I think a lot of white people in particular are coming to the awareness that we have been, especially in the United States, raised in an extremely racist culture. And it's worth reflecting on how has that shaped my worldview and what do I need to learn or sort of reevaluate in that? And so there's lots of books out there. And I'm just throwing this out as a resource. So on, on my podcast, the Love, Happiness and Success podcast, we talk about many different topics that related to personal growth. I take a shotgun approach, Christian. But one recent one that we did is around developing a, an anti-racist sort of identity that talks a lot about like the stages of racial development, particularly for white racial development. And so I think kind of exposing yourself to some of those ideas and doing the work can be really important. Also, I found as a dating coach and sometimes for men, doing some reflection around, you know, core beliefs about women and patterns in their relationships, talking about your relationship with your mother. I mean, if you are actually angry with women or have kind of a hierarchy in your mind where you do feel that men are sort of superior and should kind of call the shots in a relationship. That's really important to know because if you are authentic before you do that work, you're going to alienate a lot of people. You are. So that I think step one is that self-awareness and doing your own growth work so that you can talk to people with confidence and not be worried about saying the wrong thing or accidentally offending someone because you'll know. I mean, even emotional intelligence skills can be really important to cultivate. So I mean, there's that kind of pre-work Then, though, I think it moves into that next space of what is it about myself that I like, that other people enjoy? What are actually my best qualities? What do I want to lead with? And not just putting that in your online dating profile, but finding ways to work that into a conversation. My husband, very nurturing man. We've been together for a hundred million years. And when I first met him, he told me the story about finding some abandoned kittens that her, their mother had left in a van. And it was like, you know, date two. And he was telling me about how he like went back and got these kittens and like fed them with a bottle and like rinsed off their little baby kitten butts when they soiled themselves. And I was like, this is a nice guy. Mm-hmm. 
many other facets to my husband, right? But like, that was just a story I think that really illustrated some of the best parts of himself. And I think that there's wisdom to be taken from doing some thinking about what kinds of stories should I be telling on my first few dates that really emphasize that. Yeah, definitely. So how do they do that without looking like they're trying to show off this Mm -hmm. side of their personality or that side? Yeah. Relax. And you, I'm sure you know this from your work as a comedian. Anytime you're trying too hard, it is just not going to go over well. So I think that sometimes, and this is something that I have to work with people around as a dating coach, when you're trying too hard to be perceived in a certain way or have people like you, people feel that energy and it is subconsciously repellent. So just mm-hmm. stop. And I think cognitive strategies to help manage anxiety when it comes to this can be really helpful. Like not all the women that I date are going to like me. And that's a good thing because I don't want to have a relationship with one of them. I want to find the one who likes me. And so I'm going to slow down, let them get to know the real me and not try to be something I'm not. Because I mean, really worst case scenario, you get into a relationship with someone and like three years down the road, they're like, you've changed. And you're like, no, I am actual. This is who I was. I just tricked you into believing I was somebody else. Like, let's not do that. Right? Yeah. So, Well, I saw something on your Instagram that was referring to asking for what you want. Like it's mm-hmm. okay to ask for what you want. So how do you guys ask for what they want but still come across as loving, nice, gentlemanly types? Yes. So I think that it's important to think about gender differences in relationships because I'm pretty sure that that particular Instagram post was related to the way that women many times show up in relationships, which is being overly accommodating, especially if they have a tendency towards like an anxious attachment style. It can be very easy for them to get involved with, say, I don't know, somebody who has like narcissistic tendencies or who doesn't have the same intentions for the relationship, or maybe even somebody with like kind of an avoidant attachment style. And so the reason why that advice is encouraged, particularly for women, is to go ahead and find out as quickly as possible if the guy you're dating is not able to be responsive, is not interested in hearing about your needs, rights, or feelings, because those are all warning signs. And so let's not, you know, again, get three years in before you find out that you're dating a sociopath, because that's like really not ideal. I think the corollary for men is actually different than it is for women. Whereas women need to be more assertive and asking for what they want. I think something really important for men to showcase is their emotional availability and their capacity to connect on an intimate level. If you can do that with a woman, that will be extremely impressive. I think that when men ask for what they want and are real assertive, I think that it can contribute to that dynamic where women become very small in response and then they don't show their true selves to men many times. You have to remember that everybody's anxious. Everybody is in pain. Everybody has anxiety. And so it's important to be aware of that when you're dating and then act accordingly. 
Yeah. Well, I think some of the guys that listen to mm-hmm. the show may take more of a beta role as like, mm-hmm. I don't know, they're the beta male rather than the alpha male. Yeah. And so I think the roles are slightly reversed somewhat just for, I mean, not just our listeners, mm-hmm. but certain types of guys out there who think that appeasing women is the way to mm-hmm. their hearts or placating them is the way to their hearts. Yeah. So it's like you want to not dismiss her, but in the mm-hmm. process, a lot of these guys yeah. have suppressed their masculinity or they've suppressed oh. what they want because they may not think they're worthy or they may mm-hmm. not get dates a lot. So it's like, oh no, I, I have a date. She's here. And I, if I tell her, like, if I say, you know, I would actually rather have this or do that, then I'm going to scare her away. That is a great point. That is a great... And can you and I just both agree that beta males are the very best kind of they males? Are, they They're are. The they best. have like a heart of gold. And I would yes. just take that heart out and then cash it in and get some money in exchange for their heart of gold. But wow. since I can't... <laughs> since I can't, it's a little dark. Since I can't and they get to keep their heart of gold, how do we turn that heart of gold into yeah. like half gold or three quarters gold and then right. a little bit of the tough like strength empowered guy as well. I that is such a great point. And when I think about your question through that lens, you know what I'm actually sitting with right now is again this importance of really knowing yourself well before you jump into dating because like a really good dating coach will like sit with you and be like, "Let's talk about your relationship history." And would hear those kinds of stories about men who maybe felt invalidated or like they diminished themselves and created a relationship with a woman who they found maybe over time to be domineering or unable to kind of accept who they were. And so again, with that self-knowledge, at the very beginning of a dating relationship, you can intentionally have sort of experiments where you do say, I prefer Indian food and see what kind of reaction that gets. So from the outset, I think in this dynamic is sort of more similar to that traditional kind of female way of being. You can find out if somebody's like, absolutely not, because you don't want to have a relationship with that person. So you would say in the courting process when maybe they're texting or they're on the phone, Throwing in little things, like you said, with the Indian food or little preferences to see how the person's reacting. Mm -hmm. Well, and even more, because I think women are communicators. Men, I think, tend to be doers. That is often the way that they communicate. And see, it also goes back, though, to what kind of relationship do you want to be in? If you want to be in a relationship where there's an egalitarian partnership and where you as a man has a voice and has a certain level of like power and control, it's important to establish that from the beginning. And I think it is also very true that many women do long for a confident kind of active partner who will say, I have made us a restaurant reservation. I think you'll really like this. And I was thinking six on Saturday. That kind of like action-oriented approach to dating says a lot of good things about you. You are thinking in advance about advanced planning. That's a pain point for many women. You have the initiative to like do things without waiting to be told. That's a pain point for many women in their relationships. 
and also to be able to communicate it in a way that does leave room. So, I mean, if you're first getting to know someone, I would say soften it a little bit. I was thinking that we might go to this place. I've been there before. I think it's really nice. We could go at seven. You know, I'm happy to make reservations. How do you feel about that? So, in terms of that kind of action oriented approach, I think that that would be really important, particularly for men who maybe haven't always felt that kind of empowerment in previous relationships. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yes, absolutely. Mm -hmm. I think it's a great idea. I really think what it is, is magic is in the details. Yeah. So rather than having to be this big showy guy to Mm -hmm. show off, look how desirable I am and look at this and look at that, the details of making Mm -hmm. the plan, putting it out there, not asking necessarily for permission, but also getting some sort of flow between the two where it's not like unconsensual dinner. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think that's huge. Yeah. And I think too, like if you imagine sort of like a spectrum where on the one hand, there's like super controlling, like here's what we're going to do guy who just like takes up all the space. And then on the other side of the spectrum is a guy who's so eager to please that, what do you want to have for dinner? What do you think we should do? And it almost like doesn't have a self. It's like, what, what is healthy and in the middle? I always talk about... So I do some coaching and I Mm -hmm. teach guys essentially how to banter with women and how to chat. (laughs) And one thing that I talk about a lot is cranking up the volume on personality. So Mm. if a guy who's more, I guess, beta... I don't even know if that's a real... Is that a term people would even use in psychology? Or is that... I know what you mean when you use that term. So there's like sort of a dominant personality and then sort more of a reserved personality. Sure. Yeah. So for Mm -hmm. the reserved guys, I always recommend when you're first selling yourself, quote unquote, Mm -hmm. on a dating app or after you've met a girl in person and you're normally at say like a five in your personality in your everyday life, you know, it's like Mm -hmm. with friends and family, you're at a five, but with this girl who's just now meeting you, I would say usually you want to crank it up to like an eight so Mm -hmm. that your vibrance shines a bit more. And so it's not so much work for her to see past the everyday you to get to where the color is in you. Yeah, and, and then of course, as you're continuing to date, you don't want to keep your volume cranked up all the time. Sure. It'll be annoying, and mm-hmm. she'll be like, "Okay, shut up, please stop talking." But then on guys who are really big and bold, I always say, "Bring your personality down from the ten mm-hmm. to the eight when you're first starting to get to know someone." So what I think happens in that process of when you're either turning up your volume or turning mm-hmm. down your volume is that your authentic self does come out. Because if you're too yeah. too loud, you can't hear your authentic self, and if you're mm-hmm. too quiet you can't hear your authentic self either. Yeah. Essentially, I'm trying to empower men to just be Mm -hmm. able to be themselves and not be afraid. Right. And that is great advice because it's really important because if you're trying to be something or someone that you're not in the early stage of a relationship, you're going to get involved in a relationship that is not the right one for you. Would you say that guys and women tend to be the ones that get into relationships that are the relationships with the sociopaths or the negative relationships, would you say that those people are more codependent and have a codependency issue at all? Or would you just say that's because they're pleasers Mm -hmm. or something? What's the difference there? The good news, thankfully, is that actual like capital S sociopaths and narcissists are really quite rare. What is much more common... Yes, because I killed them all off. (laughs) You suck. You suck. 
I thought it required a, a silver sword, but that's good to know. You can do it with a no, yeah, just a little push. Bullet. Okay, yeah, well, good. So, what is much more common is people who are on the avoidant spectrum of attachment styles, and many more people that are running around single tend to have that way of relating, particularly if you get past a certain age group. I would say. So it's not that they're terrible people. There's just like a, a almost like a fearful attachment style that leads them to be very yeah. So that that's just I think more common. But it's often the same. The net result is it can feel that way to people that they're partnered with. But what does that even mean yeah. though? Really, I get confused. Well, yeah, yeah. I'm not even confused. I don't even know what is an avoidance attachment. Oh style? sure, yeah, yeah. No, this, like this is just it's really important terms. Okay, so sort of basic primer. We all have general ways of relating to other humans that are established in infancy and early childhood and then are sort of reinforced during our teenage years, early relationship years. So if you imagine kind of a a bell curve, like the middle of the road and what we want is something called a secure attachment style. And so this is a fundamental core belief that I am a good person, worthy of love and respect, I have positive things to offer others. I can anticipate being treated well by others. And I tend to trust other people and think well of them too. That's sort of a secure attachment style. And this leads to oftentimes positive, healthy, long-term relationships. People can manage anxiety, communicate well, be good partners. And on the other sort of ends of the spectrum, there is an anxious attachment style that is often created when someone maybe has a caregiver early in life who was inconsistently available. So they were never sure if they were going to get their needs met or not. It leads to a lot of like vigilance in relationships and like, does he like me? What is she thinking about me? What about now? And you'd call her again just to make sure it's like this sort of vigilant, anxious behaviors. And that can, of course, vary in its intensity. It all occurs on the spectrum. And then at the other side of the spectrum is what we call an avoidant attachment style. And this way of relating is often created in the context of early childhood experiences where their caregivers were not responsive or not safe. So the core belief they emerged into adulthood with is, I can't trust people. People are going to hurt me sooner or later. I'm pretty much on my own, self-sufficient. And so what this looks like in relationships is people kind of distancing themselves emotionally. People don't get too close. If they do get too close, they're sort of like, they might cheat on a partner to kind of blow up the relationship. Or oftentimes, people who have avoidant attachment styles can be very critical of their partners. Well, she is a United States Congresswoman and she is a Miss America pageant, but <laughs> she's not Miss Universe and she, she has a long second toe. So I know exactly, mm-hmm. exactly. So it, it kind of goes down that path when the net result is that they're sort of protected because they are alone sooner or later. So who yeah. matches up the best? Obviously, <laughs> neither spectrum seems to match with anything except yeah. some good therapy. But who goes with who? Yeah, that's a great question. Avoidant people rarely form relationships with other avoidant people. A challenging and common pairing are anxious people with avoidant people. Oftentimes, not always, but the female partner is in the anxious position. So it's, does he like me? What if I did this? What if I dyed my hair red? Maybe if I got a boob job, then he would love me. 
and like killing themselves to get their emotional needs met from someone who does not really want to do that and is sort of consistently pushing away. Whereas an, a secure person would be able to see an avoidant person as like, yeah, I don't want to do this with you. you. Let me know if you want to hang out with me. Secure and secure is a great pairing. And also people with secure attachments can oftentimes have the kind of emotional safety that someone with an anxious attachment style requires and can also not get anxious if they are in a relationship with someone with an avoidant attachment style. So anyway, your best bet is to find a partner that has a secure attachment style if you don't. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So how does one get (laughs) away from either of those extremes? Is it just years of therapy or what can you do to stop those thoughts? Yeah. Well, intentional work. And I am a therapist, but I think the reason why I gravitate towards coaching so much is because the idea that you need to like sit around for five years and talk about how mean your dad was and therapy, like it makes me crazy. And a lot of therapists just do that. I hate that. Me and too. it's not actually necessary. No. I did feel for a long time mm-hmm. when I was in... I don't go to therapy consistently as much anymore. But when I did go, I felt like I was on a carousel where I just kept going in circles and circles. Oh, I and hate that. But somehow it was almost like a corkscrew, like the carousel screwed itself into the ground eventually. Mm-hmm. You know, we just kept going yeah. lower and lower and lower because I was regurgitating the same old problem every single week. Mm-hmm. And so I actually found it therapeutic to stop going to therapy. Mm-hmm. And now I go, now I actually go because my therapist is just awesome to chat with. Like I want to go to coffee with him. Totally. And be friends. So I actually just kind of go for the camaraderie now. And at this point, I know that he doesn't know that. I mean, I... Oh, no. Like I kind of secretly like I'm befriending him and he doesn't know. I'm really just here because you're cool. (laughs) 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 No, it's, it's so hard. So that is like the whole... I'm getting on my soapbox now. So I'm just going to like warn you. But that is like the whole reason for my practice growing self because I hate that. And I'm totally like down with having a sounding board and it is helpful to have a space to just like kind of talk through things sometimes. But there is a lot of really ineffective therapy that's just like talking about crap. And there is a very, I would say the most common school of thought when it comes to therapy is that to get insight into why you are the way you are would somehow change something about you. And that isn't true. It is not true. And so there are evidence-based approaches, both to therapy and coaching that are very strategic around what is the problem and what do we need to do to make this different in terms of the way you think and feel and behave. And so it's a very action-oriented kind of strategy. Step one is like getting self-awareness. This is what I do in relationships and I get really anxious and I tend to try really hard to make people like me. So, okay, we know that. Now let's look at why. What is the internal dialogue? Where is that coming from? And now what do we need to do to make you feel different in those moments so that you don't do that anymore? That's a successful outcome. What are three steps that someone listening could do right now to go from being the anxious attachment style to a little bit more secure? Sure. Knowledge is power. And so like if you're looking for a self-help kind of option, there is a really nice book that I like. It's called Attached. And it has like a lot of general information about attachment styles. And there are some sorts of quizzes. But it's not like a three tips 
to secure attachment kind of thing. It is a process. And so I don't want to oversell it and be like, do this and it'll all be better. But that step one is really getting clear around what do I do in relationships? What is my inner dialogue that maybe I'm not fully conscious of? And that is where like a really good therapist or life coach can be super helpful because many times people don't know what they're thinking and what they're... It's like you swim in your little fish tank all the time and you don't know you're swimming in water. And so it's like to have somebody shine a light on those blind spots, be like, huh, I do kind of have a core belief that sooner or later, if somebody really gets to know me, they're not going to like me anymore. So it's like that step one is just unearthing it. And then step two is a process of learning oftentimes cognitive skills to be able to counteract that. So it's if this is the automatic core belief that makes me feel really anxious, here are several alternatives I can begin practicing really intentionally because our thoughts do create our feelings. Yeah. Anytime you're having a feeling, it's because you are making meaning of a situation that you are not reacting to emotionally, even if you're not aware of it. So that is essentially the next step. And then three would be a behavioral kind of strategies where once you're telling yourself certain things and feeling a little bit differently, now what are you doing in relationships? And many times when people start behaving differently in relationships, they will feel more anxious for a little while because they're not doing their old patterns anymore. And so that's a very productive stage of the work is to be like, okay, you didn't call her five times. So how is that feeling? And what did that make you want to do? And so I think that space is helpful too. And gaining the confidence. Mm-hmm. I do. I love that. Yeah. I think I think that would be super helpful. And checking out a book like that is yeah. really smart mm-hmm. because I don't think people understand even that these things exist in attachment style. And, oh, yeah. and so huge. they go forward into dating without... Mm-hmm knowledge. And like you said, knowledge is power. That's Mm -hmm. why I'm super powerful because I have all the knowledge. (laughs) But this was awesome. Tell everyone where they can find you and just have access to more of you. Just real briefly, the book is great. And if they do want to get involved with a therapist or a life coach for help with us, look for someone who has experience in evidence-based cognitive behavioral therapy. That's the kind of approach that I was just describing. That's what it's called. It's cognitive behavioral therapy or cognitive behavioral coaching. So yeah. Evidence-based. Evidence-based, awesome. meaning that we know this works. That's awesome. Yeah. And certainly if anybody would like to know more about me or my practice, they could cruise over to growingself.com. It's growing self-counseling and coaching where we specialize in love, happiness, and success. And I also put out a podcast every week um, called the Love, Happiness, and Success Podcast. And so, yeah, that's me. And we need all of those things right now as much as possible. Okay. <laughs> Everyone should listen to that podcast. We need all the love we can get in 2020. So thank you so much for being here. And I'll yell at Marnie for you. And <laughs> <laughs> if anyone wants help with their banter skills, just know I'm always around at kristenandchill.com. New episodes of the podcast come out every Thursday at 5 p.m. Pacific. Make sure you subscribe so you don't have to download individually and tell your friends and rate the show five stars, five stars only. That's it for us at Ask Women. And we will see you guys next week. 